Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. So weird though, you know, like God will take and bless our socks off and come through time and again, and then like two days later, we'll forget about that when something else hits. We're like, oh my goodness, how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? So today, like, I, I, I challenge you to think back every time God's come through, every time he's been faithful, just remember that and he's going to come through again. He's going to be faithful again because that's who he is. That's what he does. And, um, but we are, we are in week two of a series called, what does that really mean? And I really, uh, last year we're planning out our series and we're praying about it. And uh, Miss Emily actually came up with this series, and we are going to do it in the fall. And I felt like the Lord, as I was praying, uh, I, I just felt like the Lord said, we need to go through Hebrews. We need to walk through Hebrews. And I'm like, okay, Lord. And so we put this on pause. And I think this is a, the, this is the right time to do it, though, because the point of this series is to answer questions of, of things that we talk about regularly in church, but, you know, we might have an understanding or not have an understanding of what it is. Some of us have been Christians for years. Some of us are new to the faith. Some of us haven't even um, decided to follow Jesus yet, but there's, there's kind of Christianese terms in, 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 in Christendom that we use a lot, but some of us might not all know what they mean. And so... But they're necessary. Like last week, we talked about justification, sanctification, and repentance. Those are very churchy terms. But essentially, justification is the act of God that makes you holy and righteous before God. He gives you Jesus' righteousness, and he gave Jesus your sin, and he swapped it. And so that's how we're able to approach God. Then... Sanctification is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit making you like Jesus after you um, give your life to Jesus. He, he makes you like Jesus, and then repentance is agreeing with God. It means, you know what, God, I'm wrong, and you're right. In, in the Old Testament, it meant go a new direction. In the New Testament, it means change the way you think, and it's both. Because when you truly repent, your mind starts to change to agree with God, and then you start going a new direction. That's repentance. And this week... We are going to look at spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered. Spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered. That is the three things I really want to hit on today, because how many of you guys in church have have heard this term, oh, they were spirit-led? It's kind of self-explanatory. They they were spirit-empowered. Or, or they're, they're, they were uh, spirit-filled. And I think sometimes we can kind of mix them and we think that they mean the same thing and they, they don't. And so today I want to look at what that means. But before we really dive into Acts chapter 8, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 and also we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. Um, so I want to tell you a joke. Like, let's get, let's just get it out of the way, guys. It's like pulling off a Band-Aid. <laughs> like, at this point, no, this, uh, this little boy, he was in third grade, and he was, 
in class listening to his teacher teach, and she started talking about um, evolution. Well, this little boy grew up in church, and he believed in creation, and he also believed in the Noah and the ark and the flood. Well, you know, he started asking some questions, you know, because he paid attention to Sunday school. He said, well, if that happened, that doesn't make sense because God flooded the earth, you know, and he started asking some of these questions, and um, and then, and the teacher was like, well, the cultures do say uh, that there was a flood and a bunch of different cultures. And he's like, well, God did this. And, and so finally, um, the, the, teacher, um, the teacher goes, well, what if knowing the ark wasn't real? And he's like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him about all this. I'm going to ask Noah about how the ark was and how long it took and and." you know, how many animals there were, and the teacher, at this point, she was kind of annoyed, and if you've ever been around small children, I understand. Um, she goes, well, what if Noah didn't go to heaven? And the little boy goes, then I guess you can ask him all the questions. <laughs> oh, man, come on, that's, that's, just, that's just dumb. It's just dumb. I guess I'm throwing a four joke. I know, I have to. But did you guys know that Columbia has a new uh, uh, junkyard? It's a new pick and pull. They get really mad when you do it, but it's right up here next to the Hyundai dealership. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> uh, he drives a Ford now and he's still making five. What a hypocrite. Come on. You guys, the Ford dealership's right next to the Hyundai dealership. So, all right, all right, all right. We're looking at Acts chapter 8, and I want to set the scene for you. Or Acts chapter, yeah, Acts chapter 8. I want to set the scene for you. So, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus dropped this line. He said, and you will receive power. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Fast forward eight chapters. This is arguably could be a year down the line. After the day of Pentecost. It's starting to get real for the church. God's moving powerfully in Jerusalem. So what, what is the first place Jesus said? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So God's moving powerfully in Jerusalem. People are being healed miraculously in Jerusalem. People, God is doing uh, amazing works through the apostles. Not just the apostles, but believers. Just like, like sometimes we think there's like a hierarchy of people like, oh, pastors have this and evangelists. And no, no, no. Like when, when the Holy Spirit came, he came for the church, you and me, and he wants to move powerfully through all of us. My prayers don't get any special favor with God. Your prayers are just as powerful as my prayers, and the apostles didn't have any special favor. The whole church had favor because the Holy Spirit rested on all of them, and God was moving mightily through the whole church. And this person named Stephen, he wasn't an apostle, he was appointed because he, he was kind of like a, he helped with the widows in the church. 
he helped distribute some funds amongst the Jewish um, widows and the Greek widows. And so, but God was using him. He was laying hands on the sick. They would recover. God was doing, he was casting out demons. And suddenly one day he was arrested. And he got brought before the, before the council and he got up and he shared. I mean, go read it. I think it's in Acts chapter 6. It's such a powerful testimony of Stephen's account. And he walks through why salvation comes through Jesus. And he takes the whole history of Israel and culminates it into Jesus. It's beautiful. But at the end, he starts talking about how Jesus rose from the dead and they, could, they couldn't have it. It was driving them nuts, so they end up killing him. by cat, like They bring him out, and they just start throwing rocks at him until he dies. It's called stoning. And so this is a persecution, though. Suddenly, they were persecuted before. The apostles got arrested a couple times. They kept preaching the gospel, but now it's getting real. One of their own just got killed. And so what that forced the church to do was to scatter. Suddenly they went underground. Some of them went up to Judea. Jerusalem, all Judea. Some of them went to Samaria. And then some of them started going to the ends of the earth. Because God's word will come to pass. And so we step in on the beginning of the persecution of the church. And here's the thing, guys. Persecution, we really have not seen that much in the United States. But there's an early church father named Totilian. He, he said the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. Wherever the church is persecuted, it causes true believers in Christ to dig down deep and to share their faith more. It just does. And it causes the, go the gospel of Jesus Christ is designed to flourish under persecution. That's why the communists in China can't shut it up. 20 years ago, you know, 20,000 people a day were getting saved every day in China. And they don't even have buildings. They meet in apartments that are smaller than your bedroom. And God is all over the world. Iran right now where, where you can be killed for being a Christian. There's revival happening all over where persecution happens. So don't be sad when persecution comes because it is coming. Just know that the kingdom is growing and God has a plan. With that said, we're stepping in to the church when they first truly experienced persecution. And we're going to pick up in verse number four. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Do you see that? Though they were being persecuted, they were dislodged in their homes People were getting killed. Instead of shutting up and hiding, they continued to preach. What would we do? It's a question. What would I do? Man, if they, if they said, hey, you gotta, be, you gotta be quiet about Jesus or you're gonna go to jail. What would we do? Well, I guess I just need to be quiet about Jesus. We believe the government so much. I'm not saying we... We disobey the government at all. Actually, we're supposed to submit to every authority over us until that authority contradicts the word of God. And we're called to preach the gospel. And so, because we have the only message that brings hope. 
Because it's not about this life. It's about eternity. It says, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they went out of their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in the city. A man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great, everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one or the power of God. That's in quotes. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believe Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. What does that tell you? The gospel of Jesus Christ trumps the lies of the enemy. When people heard the truth of God, they were no longer fooled about the lies of this man named Simon. He was fooling people with all his accolades and magic. Maybe he really was doing some stuff demonic. Because Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God has. But when they saw the power of God, people knew, hey, this is truth. As a result, many men and women were baptized. So that tells you that they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Isn't that something? (laughs) He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard uh, um, that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, any of them. For they had been baptized, they've only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they only accepted salvation, but they have not been spirit baptized yet. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. So, We're going to get into it. So I want us to jump down for a second. Still Acts chapter 8. Let's jump down to 26. So what's happening? There is revival and a move of God happening in Samaria. This region that's in southern Israel above Jerusalem. It's like there's Israel and Judah and then Jerusalem's down here. Samaria is north of Jerusalem, south of Galilee, so it's in between where Jesus did his ministry and Jerusalem. And there's revival just breaking out. The cities are being saved. There's a move of God happening. In the midst of this, there's this guy named Philip. He's an apostle of Jesus. And God's using him mightily to see this revival happening. He planted this church And by golly, it exploded. And all of a sudden, this happens. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out 
and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kadake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, so the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. What did Philip do? Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So what happened? God told Philip to go south. He's leading this ministry. He's leading this church. And God said, go. What did Philip do? He went. He started off. Peace out, guys. It's been real. It's been fun. God told me to go. Now he's sitting under a tree. The Holy Spirit whispers to Philip, go walk beside the carriage. And what did Philip do? Philip ran. <laughs> when he heard the go of God, what did he do? He ran. Like, do you see the urgency and obedience? He ran. If Philip would have walked, if he would have just got up, fine, we'll go. He would have got next to the carriage at a different time, and the guy would not have been reading what he was reading. Or, if he was much like me, he probably would have said, Lord, is that you? Am I supposed to go over there? Now, would the enemy tell me to go talk to that guy? That sounds crazy. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, I would have wrestled with it for 30 minutes. I probably would have eventually went, hopefully. But Philip just went. There's this urgency in the go of God. Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? You talk about a Holy Spirit preordained moment. God knows what he's talking about. God knows that he was reading the very section of the prophet Isaiah that prophesied about Jesus dying on the cross. You can't make this stuff up. And if Philip would have walked nonchalantly or argued with the, the passing thought of the Holy Spirit, he would have taken and not got there when the guy was reading it. But when, because he listened and there was urgency to the to the go of God, go over there. And he got up and ran. He, he, he followed instruction with urgency. He got there at the right time to explain Jesus. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture had been, he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can speak of his, his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. <laughs> he was prophesying about Jesus dying on the cross. And then here's Philip going, you know, I know a guy that that's about. The eunuch and Philip, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, 
Was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? It's like putting the ball on the tee and just... When it's a God thing, it's a God thing. When it's a Holy Spirit thing, it's a Holy Spirit thing. So, (laughs) beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Verse 37 would read, Philip's like, you can be baptized. Let's do it. And then we jump to verse 38. Some manuscripts don't add the Ryan version. So if your your Bible doesn't have verse 37, that's why. It's just literally Philip going, you can't be baptized. Let's do it. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip, Philip found himself far, farther north in the town of Azostus, and he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Wow. I feel like this narrative that we just read, and it's such a beautiful chapter, I feel like it captures a lot. What, what it means to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered. And we hear these things a lot. And so, today we're going to look at the overflow of the Holy Spirit in us. But before we can look at the overflow of the Holy Spirit in us, and define what it means to be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, and spirit-led we got to look at who the Holy Spirit is. Because we could talk about these things, but I want to define Holy Spirit for us. Because it just depends on your rearing and denominational background, but some churches talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, some don't. We, we go through and we read... Um, we read Scripture and He's clearly mentioned, so... I'm going to answer, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Why do we need him? Where does he dwell? And how do we receive him? And then we're going to get into the overflow. So let's take a breath real quick. I'm going to get through this really fast. Because I know everyone's thinking about the barbecue and all that. I don't want to rush that. But the Holy Spirit, we need to take time. Because we can't be a Christian if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. We have to have Holy Spirit. It's so interesting, we always give him a new first name. He's not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We always call him the Holy Spirit. He's just Holy Spirit. You don't say the Jesus. You don't say, well, you do say the Father, but it's also, it's kind of weird, you know? Why do we always say the, the Holy Spirit? So I say the Holy Spirit because I grew up saying the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to try to just, who is Holy Spirit? Who is Holy Spirit? First of all, He is God. He is a third member of the Trinity. The Father is God, Jesus is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Each are omnipotent, each are omniscient, and each are omnipresent. Omnipotent means all-powerful. 
Omniscient means all-knowing. And omnipresent means everywhere at once. So the Holy Spirit is God. They're not partly God. The Father is not part God. Jesus isn't part God. And the Holy Spirit isn't part God. And together they are omnipotent. No, they are each. Each of them individually are all-powerful. Each of them individually are God. So I'm going to give you the definition. This is off of Desiring God. Um, dot com. It's a really good website. They have some good stuff, good Bible studies on there. Um, the doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. S- stated differently, let's, let's put, it, put it this way. God is one in essence and three in person. These definitions express three crucial truths. The Father, the the Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. So collectively, they are one God, but each of them are God. I know, it's clear as mud. We're still debating it and trying to figure it out. But it's biblical. The doctrine of the Trinity is essential for our belief. Because from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, it says, God spoke, let there be light. And then it said, um, the Spirit hovered over the deep. So here we have the Holy Spirit active in creation. Then the Father spoke. Well, where's Jesus? There's a scripture. It's I am. Jesus in John, he says, I am. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, So Jesus, um, in John chapter 1, he also says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. So when God spoke, and you can look at it this way too. If God, the Father, is the will of God, Jesus is the action of God. Jesus makes the will happen, through and the Holy Spirit would be the power to execute the will. I know, this is so confusing. Bear with me. God wills something. He speaks it. Let there be. When he speaks it, Jesus executes the will of the Father. That's how they always work in tandem. And how does Jesus execute the will of the Father? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. They work in tandem. They've never had a disagreement. They've never argued. They always work together. Jesus' role is to bring people to the Father. The Father wants relationship with everyone. The Bible says God is not willing that any perish, but all come to a place of repentance. That's the will of God. So what does Jesus do? He steps into humanity to make a way for people to come to a place of repentance. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit steps in and brings people to Jesus so Jesus can bring them to the relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus, to bring people to Jesus. And Jesus' job is to glorify the Father and bring people to the Father. Jesus is the way. The Holy Spirit brings people to Jesus. 
Sometimes we don't know what to do with Holy Spirit. We think about Holy Spirit like, okay, we get Father and Son. I get that relationship. But Holy Spirit's kind of over here doing off his own thing. And no, no, they work in tandem. They work together. When Jesus was on earth at 33 years, he did everything as a man led by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rested upon him. He was just like you and me. He was flesh, so he had to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was fully God, fully man. But when he was on earth, he operated through the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit perfectly. They are co-equal, but have a different role. What does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus is the Word of God. He's the action of God. The Father is the will of God, and the Holy Spirit is the power of God. Jesus gets the will done through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think about it this way. Can I see, is my cell phone, you don't have, can I see your phone real quick? My daughter ran off with my phone, that's neat. So, a cell phone, let's just say for a second, she does not have any cell phone coverage, and she doesn't have a contract with Verizon. If you have Verizon, it's practically like having no cell phone coverage, quite frankly, let's just be real. Um, But if this is just a phone with no, with no carrier, Modern phones are designed to where you can still make 911 calls, supposedly. So even if you didn't have a carrier, you could still get through an emergency line. So when you're you're lost and you don't have a relationship with God, you have no connection to him. The only thing that, really the only call you can make is salvation and imagine the phone kind of represents jesus it's the device by which you connect to the father but the father wants to establish connection with you so you call 911 and the 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 power the signal is the holy spirit he sends a signal to the father and then you're able to get saved Now, once you get service, hopefully not Verizon, and you have you have bars and you actually can call anywhere, the phone still is a device. We still come to the Father through Jesus. But the power by which we come to the Father is the Holy Spirit. He's the signal. You can't make you can't make calls apart from emergency without signal. You can't, you can't do anything on this phone without signal. If you want to call someone, you have to have signal. And the Holy Spirit is what connects us to the Father through the device. In an effort to explain things, I might have confused it even more. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but Jesus, that, that's what the Holy Spirit does, though. He connects us to the Father. And when you're a sinner, the only connection that he can create is salvation. So you make the 911 call. What else does he do? He convicts. I'm going to read a section of scripture. It's found in John 16, 
7 through 11, and, and this is Jesus talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is the one that baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, and, and so Jesus knows the Holy Spirit way better than we know the Holy Spirit, and so Jesus gets to define the role of the Holy Spirit way better than I get to define the role of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, th- but this section of Scripture is so misquoted amongst churches and amongst pastors, and we misuse it. We say, well, the Holy, I'm just going to read it for a second. This is Jesus. He said, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because I, if I don't, the advocate won't come. So Jesus literally had to die, resurrect, and ascend to heaven. And then he sent Holy Spirit to earth. So because he was limited to a body, he couldn't be everywhere at once. So now he's sitting in heaven next to the Father, making prayers for us. But when he went, what did he do? He sent Holy Spirit down to dwell within us. And so he says, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. And we stop there. And we have those self-righteous Christians that get up and like, well, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. But that's not the full statement. Like, we get mad when we get misquoted. You, we, we cut Jesus off. Jesus says, and of God's, he, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. He will convict of God's righteousness. And he will, and he will convict of God's judgment. And then, then he says this. Like, what, well, what sin does he convict the world of? See, this is when we have it backwards. We think God is off over here convicting sinners of all their sin. And then, no, he doesn't actually. Just read. This is why it's so important to read the Bible. This is what he says. And this is Jesus. So if you, if you have a problem, take it up with him. Like, why does God have a hard time with this? We have a hard time with Jesus. The world's sin... Is the fact that he refu- is the fact that it refuses to believe in me. He convicts the world of sin of unbelief, of righteousness. He convicts Christians of righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of the world has already been judged. So, what does this mean? Before you're in Christ, the Holy, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. He brings us to Jesus. So he convicts the world of sin of unbelief. He, he brings us to a point where we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he died on the cross. And we believe that he rose again. And then we put our faith in that. We believe Jesus is who he says he is. And that's the sin that he convicts the world of. Once we do that, suddenly we are righteous because of justification. That's when the real conviction starts. What does it mean to convict of righteousness? That means as we walk with God, remember sanctification is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit making you like Jesus. Well, how does he make you like Jesus? He convicts you. The things in your life that don't, that's when he starts dialing in on, on things. You, like, 
When a drug addict comes to faith in Jesus, God's not going to make him quit doing drugs before he comes to faith in Jesus. No, he wants a relationship with him. And then that point, upon salvation, he starts saying, hey, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't do drugs anymore. And then he empowers him to lay down drugs. Maybe you're an alcoholic. I'm not saying drinking's a sin or anything like that, but the Bible is clear that being drunk all the time is a sin. Alcoholism is a sin because you're inebriated all the time. You can't have clear judgment. And so maybe the Lord's saying, hey, you need to dial back on this. He starts convicting you and you want to lay it down. You, you just like, oh, I don't want that anymore because he's making you like Jesus. And we have it so backwards in the world. We think, well, the Lord's going to convict them of that sin. No, he won't. If they're not, if they're not in Christ, he won't. Know what he's going to do? He's going to make them see the love of God. He's going to let them feel the love of God. And he's going to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. And once they're in a relationship with Jesus and they understand, you know what? God loves me so much, even through all my mistakes and mess ups, I want to lay this stuff down. And, and, and when he convicts me of something, I want to lay it down. He convicts. And what does it mean? It, to be convicted of righteousness. He reminds us, guess what? You're righteous in Christ. And so the things that don't look righteous in your life, you need to lay down. But we have it backwards. So often in the church, we want the Holy Spirit out there just thumping people on the head with the Bible. Like, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. No, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, it says... It's God's loving kindness that draws us to repentance. And so what is our job is to preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit convict the world of its sin of unbelief. Jesus echoed this in John chapter 3. He said, I didn't, For the Father did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In John 3, 18, it says, But the world stands condemned because they did not believe in the Son. They're, they stand condemned already. He doesn't have to condemn them for their sin. He wants them to believe in the Son. He wants a relationship with them. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin of unbelief, and then he convicts Christians. He reminds us that we're holy and righteous in God. He's constantly reminding us of our identity in Christ, and by reminding us of our identity in Christ, it, it starts exposing the dark areas of our life. When we get into the light, it exposes darkness, right? So suddenly we're like, man, I, I don't want to do that anymore. That's when the Holy Spirit starts working on individual sins. So why do we need him? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, this is really easy. He empowers us to be like Jesus. He empowers us to live a life that looks like Jesus. It's a life in full surrender to the will of God. We, can't, we cannot live a Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. We have got to have the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter says that everything for life and holiness has been given to you through Christ. What did he give us? He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us a person of the Holy Spirit. When we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we couldn't be a Christian. Where does he dwell? This is really powerful. Where does he dwell? He lives in Christians. God himself lives in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
He lives in you. In fact, Romans chapter 8 says this, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. That's mind-blowing. Just track with me for a second. I asked the volunteers this question. How many of you guys growing up have ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Um, Moses walking through the Red Sea. Uh, Noah and the Ark. Uh, the three Hebrew children, when they, the fiery furnace, they were in the fiery furnace. So, like, I know I've asked these questions. I've heard, I've heard these. Now, now track with me. How many of you guys wondered, like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask David what it was like to kill Goliath. Have you guys ever asked questions like that, like when you're a kid? Some of you guys have to really go way back to remember, like, Phil, like, that's like, uh, so far ago. Um, like, in the 1820s, when, no, so, come on, that, that's Randy's age. Uh, no. I'd have to go back to the 1700s. For, oh, gosh, stop it, stop it, stop it. Like, so when, I, I remember, like, growing up, I asked these questions, I wonder what it was like to kill Goliath. I wonder what it was like to walk through the Red Sea, you know? Like, I'm going to ask Moses about what it's like to walk through the Red Sea or, or what it was like to stand in the fiery furnace and all of a sudden Jesus appears in the midst of the flames and you're like, whoa, where did you come from? How am I not burning? Like, I want to hear these stories, you know? What was it like for Peter to walk down the street and his shadow heal someone? I want to hear these stories and all these Old Testament people, like, what was it like for Noah? How long did it really take you to build the ark? You know, how many animals were actually like, dude, what was a flood like? Was like, dude, did water just erupt? I mean, like, have all these questions, you know, that kids ask. You know what? What's interesting is, I think we are going to have the church from Pentecost on, when we get to heaven, I think we're going to have a long line of Old Testament people waiting to ask us questions. One question. You want to know what question they're going to ask us? You really do? What was it like to have God live in you? What was it like to have God live in you? Where does he live? He lives in us. The power of God is in us. How many of you guys have ever prayed for something and just, God did it? Why? The power of God. Holy Spirit worked. We can't do anything. Our prayers are just words apart from the Holy Spirit. But the power of God lives in us. So the next question is, how do we receive him? We put our faith in Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. Upon doing this, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. So, that's the who, what, when, where, and why, and how. So with that said, very quickly, I got five more points. I'm just joking, I don't. Um, the overflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is where we get back to the book of Acts. 
we see Philip, Peter, and John operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we see them submit to his leadership through this whole story. So the overflow of the of, of Holy Spirit active in our life is the, the first thing is we listen and submit to his leadership. It's pr- proof that the Holy Spirit is active in your life is that we're listening to him. Philip, he went up, and, and, and the reason why I know early on that he was listening to the Holy Spirit, people were getting healed, demons were getting cast out, people were getting saved. And I know that he had to listen to the Holy Spirit to do this because that's not natural. Even before, like, every time I get up, I get butterflies. I get nervous. I was praying down here, Holy Spirit, I need your power. Because the enemy was like, oh, this is not a timely message. No one's going to get it. It's too long. You have a lot of stuff. You're trying to explain. You know, all these things. And I have all these lies going through my head. And I, I know what it feels like to get up and say things and have to work through that. But then apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just a talk. But when Holy Spirit shows up, it resonates with people. It makes us chew on it. We walk out of here like, man, I feel different. I got hit different. Man, I do need Holy Spirit. So we listen and submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. All the works that they did was them listening to the Holy Spirit. When you cast out a demon... You better know that that person has a demon. If you walk up and you start praying for a demon to come out of someone, and they're not demon-possessed, they might try to start casting a demon out of you. You are going to look insane. But then you hear this, I'm speaking from experience, when when I've dealt with demoniacs, you just know. Like, okay, I'm going to step out here. And you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. When you pray for someone to be healed, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. Peter and John show up and the people start getting, they start getting empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when you get saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life. And you can walk with the Holy Spirit. You're spirit-led at that point. But then, when you get spirit-empowered, that's different. That's second. That's, that's a different baptism. The baptism they received in Samaria was a baptism of repentance. They put their faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came in them. But spirit baptism is on them. I'm going to give you guys an MCU reference for a second. MCU is a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think this is one of the best illustrations I've ever heard about the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever heard of Captain America? Captain America got a serum, right? And it made him look like me. I mean, whoa. Okay, it did not make him look like me. I'm sorry. Looked way better than me. Whoa, whoo, not going to say that again. (laughs) But what did it do? It made him strong. It made him, it made him 
like, like he, he couldn't get sick. Um, it, made, it, it made him not want things. It changed him, right? It made him strong. But it was in him. But then you have the Iron Man armor. So Captain America is strong. He's stronger than what he was. I mean, comic book Captain America, he could lift like 2,000 pounds. Like, that's a lot of weight. That's almost as much as Randy Tosh can bench press. Like, that's a lot of weight. But then Iron Man, it goes on. It goes on him. And, you know, and it exponentially increases Iron Man's power. Suddenly, Iron Man, he can lift upwards of 300,000 pounds. You see, one is in him. It made him strong. It made him better. It, 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 it made him immune to some stuff. And when we come into Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us. He makes us strong to live a, a godly life. He empowers us to say no to temptation. So the Holy Spirit is in me for me. But the Holy Spirit is on me for you. When, he, when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, he comes on us to exponentially increase that power. That's why Jesus didn't mix his words in Acts 1.8 when he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He didn't say comes in you. They already had the Holy Spirit in them. He needed them to have the power of God on them. And so that's why this apostle said, what baptism have you received? Oh, a baptism of water. That's repentance, Holy Spirit in them. He said, now receive the Holy Spirit on you. And they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now the church is running rampant. People, like, everyone's casting out demons. Everyone's healing the sick. And then, on top of that, then there's a scripture in 29. It says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip. So overflow of Holy Spirit active in our lives as we listen and submit to his leadership. Holy Spirit said to Philip, go walk by that cage. Philip got up and ran. He listened to Holy Spirit. He listened to Holy Spirit. That's the overflow. When you have the passing thoughts of the Holy Spirit, it won't be loud. It won't be obnoxious. It's just, it's overflow. It's go, go walk beside, go pray with that person. Tell them that God loves them. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm just going to go. The other day I was at the dentist and I wore my Jesus Loves You shirt and this lady commented on it. It was just her and I in the waiting room and uh, she said, I love your shirt. And so I'm like, hey, you know, I have a policy. If someone comments on this shirt, I'm going to ask if I could pray with them. And so I asked if I could pray with her. And she's, I said, what, what do you have going on in your life? She goes, I'm terminally ill. I have cancer. I said, well, that's a prayer that God can take care of. And I said, you know what, ma'am? I said, now I know. They canceled, my, they canceled my dentist appointment twice. They moved it back the first time a month. Then they moved it back a week. To, and I said, now I know why. 
it was for, so, so we could talk. I got to share the gospel. I got to pray with her. And she's like, thank you so much and all that. And I went back and had people fill all up in my mouth. And it was weird and all that good stuff with the dentist. Months go by. Like a month and a half goes by. And uh, she posted something on Facebook. And she tagged me in it. And she, and I don't normally get this. So I say this because like, we are supposed to be obedient to the Holy Spirit whether or not we ever get confirmation. Okay? But she said that God, she has not had one, uh, what's it, a flare-up with her cancer since we prayed. You know, like, she talk about God pointing people. So, but it was just like, I was filling out paperwork, you know, like, you know those questionnaires, like, how much Diet Pepsi that your mom drank and all those things that you have to like fill out before anyone can see you anymore. I'm like four pages in and I still have five to go. And she comments on my shirt. And quite frankly, at that point, I was like, this is what went through my head. <sighs> Cause I'm like, I want to pray with her, but I want to get through all this stuff. Cause I'm here at I me. Mean, who wants to ever go to the dentist? You know, like, Oh, you know what? Me and my wife went on a dentist date, you know? Like, no, it's like, it's, no one treats it like a day spa. It's awful. But God knows. We listen and submit to his leadership. The, the last thing I want to leave you with is we let him produce in us the character of Jesus. We let him produce the character of Jesus in us. Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read this real fast. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, um, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's heavy. Some translation reads it like this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I think that's a really good way to put it. They're acts. Know why they're acts? Is because it doesn't take any cultivation. You just do them. Like, you, you don't... You just, your, your flesh naturally wants to do those things. It doesn't need grooming. It doesn't need process. It just does it. The acts of the flesh are obvious. But, verse 22 says, but, I love God's conjunction junctions. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are lit since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's like the COVID test. It tells you, or the litmus test. When the fruit of the Spirit are active in your life, it's proof the Holy Spirit is active in your life. If you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it's proof that Holy Spirit is working in you and on you. But the acts of the flesh are also a test too. If you're, if you're acting out of your flesh, you're, you're committing idolatry, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful thoughts, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That means your flesh is leading you. And, 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 and Paul takes and writes them, right, right, juxtaposes them against one another. So we can see who's leading us. So when we let the Holy Spirit lead us, the overflow of the Holy Spirit active in our life is the fruit of the Spirit. We have the fruit. And when there's, when there's no fruit, that means there's no root. That means if we're walking with the Spirit, these things will happen, and it takes time. So don't beat yourself up if you gave your heart to Jesus and you have an outburst of anger. Fruit doesn't grow overnight, does it? A, tr a fruit tree doesn't grow overnight, does it? No, you plant a seed. Jesus says in John chapter 13, he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce a harvest. So what happens is a seed goes into the earth and dies, and then months go by. And all the while, the roots are digging into the soil. And all the while, the little spirit's trying to fight its way up, but it takes time. And that's the walk, that's sanctification. Over time, you become like Jesus. So maybe you still have a lustful thought here and there, but over time, the Holy Spirit removes that out of you because it's fruit. Even after a fruit tree grows up and starts having branches, how many years does it take to produce a peach or an apple? Years. But the point is that we let the Holy Spirit produce it. You might not be showing the fruit of the Spirit yet because you just got saved last week. But as you submit and say, okay, God, I don't want to just yell at my kids or kick my dog or whatever or cuss at my stupid Ford, which I don't. I'm just saying. It's tempting sometimes. I don't. I say stuff like Fitzgerald and other words I make up. But it's a process. This test shows if Holy Spirit is in you and you're letting him work. When you stub your toe and you don't have an outburst of anger in the middle of the night, even though you just broke your pinky off, you just cried out to Jesus for help, that's self-control. Or when that person cusses at you and you bite your tongue, and you show respect. 
That's the fruit of the Spirit. Philip, Peter, and John were people committed to obey the Holy Spirit. The overflow of the Holy Spirit in their life was a move of the Holy Spirit in Samaria and in just one Ethiopian. They submitted to his leadership and the overflow was God moving supernaturally through them. Imagine what God can do through his church today and he's doing it when we go all in with the person of the Holy Spirit. We say, God, I want what you want. I want you to lead me. I, want, I just want to submit my life to you. Imagine the supernatural overflow of a life submitted completely to the work of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do today as we wrap up, first and foremost, If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit's here to convict you of that unbelief. He loves you and he wants to bring you to Jesus. And Jesus loves you and he wants to bring you to the Father. Why does the Father want a relationship with you? He wants to spend eternity with you. He doesn't want to have separation from you any longer. And so what we do is we give our lives to Jesus. And so if you're here today and you say, Jesus, I need a relationship with you. It's so simple. It's Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. I agree with you. What you say is sin is sin, and I'm wrong, and you're right. That's repentance. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. Now come be Lord of my life. It's really that simple. We, we decide to surrender us to him. And it's a process. It's a process. So if you're here and you need a relationship with Jesus, I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. Because God wants you to have a relationship with him. He loves you. Maybe you're here and it's Pentecost Sunday. This is the day 2,000 years ago that Jesus set aside to pour out his spirit upon his church without limit. In the Old Testament, Samson and other people, it says the, the Spirit of God would come upon them for a moment. And it would, he would empower them to do things. But then he would go back. But we, the church, have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit rest on us limitlessly. Not just in us, but on us. Baptism in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you any more Christian. It doesn't make you any more holy. It's none of that. What it is, it's an empowering of the, of the Spirit of God to make you bold witnesses for the gospel of God.
You might say, I'm already a bold witness. Praise God. Imagine what presence and the power of God will do on you if you're already a bold witness. The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't there to make us Pentecostal. It isn't there to make us pray in a different language. It's none of that. It's there to empower us to be a bold witness. And if you're here today and you say, I, I've, I've never received that baptism. I've received water baptism. I'm going to ask the same question that Peter and John did. What baptism have you received? And if you've only been water baptized, I would say this is for you. I can't make it happen. But I can tell you this. You come forward and we pray with you. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit baptize, that, that, that he baptizes you. Jesus is the baptizer. He's the one that sends the Spirit. So, Father, I just pray right now in this moment of response, Lord, that you move in everyone's heart the way they, that they need and that you want. Lord, we surrender to you. I believe that there are going to be people to give their lives to you. I believe that there, there's going to be people that are going to be baptized in power today. In the name of Jesus, amen.